Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 91 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast. It's the podcast in which I, Daryl Edge, your humble host and guide, take you, dear listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is that, you may ask? Well, simply put, it is the highest, most simplest, most purest, most evangelical, most spiritual, most sexual, most everything form of being one can ever possibly be and imagine and meet and feel. And how do you achieve that, you ask? Well, there's only one way, one simple, simple little way, and that is, of course... To watch every single movie the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, has ever been in. The journey continues this week with episode 91. We're looking at Kill Chain. I was joined by Sean from the Review It Yourself podcast. A lovely episode we've got coming up here. And hope you've been well as well. Apologies for that little old delay. Last week, I uh, just didn't have time, um, which is very, very busy, real life stuff, a lot of things had to be done, but don't worry, your boy is back, and by the time you're listening to this one as well, when this one goes out, at the time of recording this intro, I'm also editing next week's episode, I'm getting extra, extra prepared, because I won't be in the country next week, obviously if you're listening to the future, it doesn't mean anything, but I'll be away, uh, trying not to die from sunburn next week so we got this week's episode and next week's episode all being edited today um i hope you've been well as well like i say i hope you've had a good old time it's been all right for your voice and the new doctor strange and the multiverse of madness i've binged through severance that might be one of my new favorite shows that's out there but obviously nothing's going to beat some good old nicholas cage fun and that gets me thinking as well, we're in the, the 90s of the episodes now, the end is dawning, the end is coming near, we're almost caught up, you know, the, the end is in sight, so that's that's a thing, that's a thing, that's a realisation, but we still got a few episodes left, don't you worry about that. Including the episode today, again, it was Sean from the Review Yourself podcast who joined me today to talk about Kill Chain from 2019, and in this episode we get... Very much into a deep dive on the movie, as per. Spoiler warning, if you haven't seen it, of course. We talk about some comparisons to John Wick that we make with this film. The moral ambiguity of the characters throughout this film. And, in all honesty, our frequent surprise at how much we both enjoyed it as well. Um, So all those links for Sean down in the bottom as per usual um, as for me you can find me in all the usual places the links in the description as well but let's get into it it's episode 91 it's kill chain darren sean enjoy Duh. the action heavy 2019 continues this week with the neo-noir crime thriller kill chain cage stars as aranya 
a mercenary turned hotel owner who becomes central to murderous events over the course of a single night. Now joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if this film makes a killing or just needs to be chained up is Sean from the Review It Yourself podcast. Sean, thank you for joining. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Absolute pleasure. Uh, every time I guest, this is only the third time I've done it, I listen to other people's introductions like, damn, this is slick. That's really rough and ready. Yeah, but um, like a brilliant description of the film. Like it's just, it's pure cage. It really is. But yeah, great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Um, so at the start of all these episodes, and um, as always with new guests, I'm always keen to know sort of from the top of things. Uh, for yourself, Sean, Nick of this cage. Uh, do you rate him? Do you hate him? Do you tolerate him? Where do you stand on the man I call the Golden Hog of Hollywood? Oh, absolutely rate him. But I was quite naive, so I used to rate him in terms of when I was a kid. Uh, I, my dad would show me, you know, the classics, your face off. Uh, the Rock is one of my favourite action films with Sean Connery. I absolutely love that film, and I'm disgusted it's not more widely known, to be fair. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I missed Conair disgracefully um, until very recently, and I kind of saw a few of his other films, thought they were okay, thought wondered where he was going with kind of what he was doing didn't mind the national treasures just dumb fun really um but kind of didn't see him in a lot as the years rolled on especially the 2010s especially with all these films that came out of nowhere um uh but i i've got back into it a bit more i'm due to watch adaption really 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 soon i'm also going to be watching um what's the other one oh uh willie's wonderland which i bought because i just love the look of it and i saw that scene where he beats it's like a behind-the-scenes shot from behind the camera where he's just beating the living daylights out of a doll. And I was like, I'm in for that kind of dedication. So <laughs> heavily rate him, heavily rate him. I mean, a lot of big films sort of named there. I think National Treasure tends to be um, one of the Cage films that even if you're a fan of him or not, it seems like damn near everyone enjoys um, National Treasure. Um, and I find it as well, it's kind of like... the almost like the perfect ITV2 film um, in the sense oh, yeah. that it can be on at any time of the day and you'll just dip in to have a watch of it and uh, and have a good time with it, I find. Absolutely. I, I've i just realised, though, in talking, I've got a, a quite a big emission of, of Nicolas Cage films I've never seen, or at least I can't remember it. What is it? It's not Leaving Las Vegas, is it? Is that what it's called? Leaving Las I, Vegas. I haven't seen that in years. And did he do another one? Was it Gone in 60 Seconds or something? I don't think I've seen that one either. Yeah, Gone in 60 do you know Seconds. What, do you know what else I haven't seen either? Any of them. I haven't seen any of the Ghost Rider films because I heard really kind of mm, things about them. and It's not really my kind of film anyway, but so I, there's a few glaring omissions there. I'm by no means an expert. Hence why uh, I'm guessing. <laughs> not doing my own. I, f- I feel like this is the time for you to come forth to Cage Confessional and uh, unburden <laughs> yourself. Uh, this is a, a, a judgment-free, friendly environment to do it, except for when we go off camera and I rip into you for this cowardice <laughs> of, of, of a filmography. I deserve it. I'll just beg forgiveness. Um, but yeah, what 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 a guy! And and I, I did read. Um, I've read a few interview, like a few things, just to prepare for this about about Nicolas Cage and why he threw out so many films with his debts and his mother and, and everything that was going on for him. But I love the fact that, and I, I agree with him, that if this was pretty much any other actor or actress, you'd watch the films and be like, God, these aren't fun in here. 
He's never he never phones in. Doesn't matter what kind of ridiculousness he's surrounded by, or how dark it is, or off the wall it is. He never seems to. You can never say he sails through it. He never kind of you know. He never does a Bruce Willis in Die Hard Five. Um, he never. He, you never watch a film and, and go. You're not even there, are you? That's what I love. Like you can't knock dedication. Doesn't matter if he's in the worst film we've ever seen. You think yeah, but he he still stood out. Yeah, definitely. And this kind of been the recurring theme. And so you mentioned it earlier. Obviously, having not heard of a lot of films of his in the 2010s, uh, for the reasons that you mentioned at this point, sort of 40 million in debt to sort of the IRS due to some uh, property opportunities gone sour, amongst other things. So he's going through these films, refusing to declare bankruptcy, trying to work his way through that, um, and. A lot of stuff has gone straight to DVD this time. Um, there's one or two things that end up at the cinema. That's it, Ghost Rider 2, there's the Crudes, things like that. Uh, films like Mandy that get a lot of like appraisal and people talking about that as well. Kick-Ass then, as well. Wasn't he in the first Kick-Ass? Was Way it, back when. That, was, well, that might have been 2009-ish. Sorry, it's a bit early, but yeah. There's there's a few films around the same area where have sort of like last sort of features in sort of widescreen release at the cinema uh then 2010s um you wouldn't be surprised for not hearing of many of these films such as kill chain i remember it would have been about 10 years ago now when i was at university going into like a hmv and every other week seeing some different straight to dvd cage video and every front cover of that dvd was him running away from an explosion or <laughs> holding a gun or something or a really close-up shot of his face blood or dark or something on it or a beard <laughs> or a mustache yeah. facial heads just looking a bit older um it's always with the sort of subtitle academy award winner nicholas cage mm. to really sort of sell this film that you've never heard of um and certainly Kill Chain comes into that. It's um, one for me I hadn't heard of before. Looking into this, it seemed to have uh, incredibly little fanfare around it. Um, so to ask a potentially yeah, obvious yeah. question. Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, had you had you heard of this one before recording today? No, not at all. Um, I, it was really, really difficult to track down. Really difficult, like this. And before I came, and I was looking for reviews about it. What did other people? There's so little out there. It's like it's almost frightening in terms of you know, and also which is different to some of his other releases. The the few kind of indie ones he's done that tend to have nobody else in it. You know, but him. I mean, this has got you know Enrico Colantoni, uh, who I I really rate as an actor. He pops up in a lot of things. Um, and he, he played a great part in this. So, um, yeah, it was strange. It, I'd not heard of it before. I don't think many people have. I think it's a shame, really. But we'll get into that, I think. <laughs> it, it, cause I kind of went into this and I come at this of the uh, from the perspective of someone who's obviously working for all of his films at this point. And in 2019 especially, as I kind of touched on in the intro, um there's a lot of action sort of films in there, um, or action crime films, action dramas, action thrillers. And coming out of 2018 as well, a lot of... You could probably name like a few different of his ones of his films, like uh, Running with the Devil and sort of Kill Chain, um, sort of 211. And there's similar kind of plots of um, 
guns and action and all of this stuff. And Mandy, Mandy, one of them. I'd heard of that one. Is Mandy one of them? Uh, Mandy was twenty eighteen, but that yeah. was quite more psychedelic horror. So for the right reasons, that one that it is really a cult classic, and it's yeah. going to stand out and stand the test of time. Um, and it, one of Cage's like visually spectacular films, like really, really good stuff. Um, but with stuff like this, you you could just name a title, and you could easily sort of mix these films up and be confused about which ones are what. I've literally just watched this film um, like 40 minutes before recording and I feel like I'm confusing about four different films in the back of my head as well. Um, so when, when you've gone into this one for the first time, fresh eyes, um, and obviously we'll, we'll get into it in a bit more detail as we go on, um, what was your sort of like broad overview of the film when the credits were first rolling? Uh, oh, when the credit when it first started, you mean? Oh, when, yeah. oh, you mean at the, oh, you mean at the end when they were rolling? Um, so at, right at the end, you finished the oh, film. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, so st- my first overall thoughts about it, um, without any spoilers, were um, a simple but effective film. Um, but it was effective in how simple it was. Good performances, a stylish kind of hue and colour palette about it. A picturesque location, even though you wouldn't think it was. I thought it was quite cool. And I also thought it was much better than I thought because the minute that I started kind of looking at it and researching it and figuring out how to find a DVD copy of it and things, um, I was thinking, oh, God, this is going to be terrible. Like, why didn't I pick a more? Why didn't I ask for like a... Why didn't I read before I said, I'll have that one? I just Because <laughs> when you asked, I just picked it purely on its name. I'm sure you gave me a choice of three. Um, and I kind of went, I'll do Kill Chain just because because I thought, oh, well, that's got to be entertaining. And I kind of understand what a Kill Chain is. But that was Those were my initial thoughts right at the end, my kind of summing up. Yeah, it gave you a few choices. So there you can at least, um, you know, we can walk away from this and say, in, in part, you did this to yourself if it was going to be a bad oh, movie. Yeah. Um, just as the lion's share of the blame. Me creating my own Kill Chain. If you like, um, <laughs> nice. I'm passing <laughs> passing it along to you. We've all done that, Daryl. I made I made, a, I made <laughs> another podcaster, um, Bill. Bless him. I've got to name drop him because he, he went through hell for me. I made him watch The Mummy 2017 because he come on and we did Mummy Two with the Dragon Emperor, and I said, "Oh, if you think this one's not great, watch The Mummy 2017." I was like, "It's awful. It really is awful." And he, I, when I watched it back. I was thinking I messaged him saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like I'd, I'd forgotten how bad this is, but at least we're doing it. We get a podcast out of it. We get an episode out of it. If I was watching a film like that and I got nothing out of it, rather than a wasted hour and a half of my life, then I'd be really kind of like annoyed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it for the content. You got to think of the people. You got to think of the listeners um, and, you know, pay it forward is, um, you know, what, what, why we do this and we put ourselves through these films um, and I'll be honest, again, given some of the films that I'd mentioned coming before this in 2019 especially, I kind of expect this to be um, similar fare, a bit kind of standard, a bit basic, a bit sort of run-of-the-mill. But I will say, in terms of his sort of straight-to-video efforts, especially considering as you said, this one had next to no publicity, no fanfare, um, even on Rotten Tomatoes, it's non-applicable. There's no reviews or ratings no, for no it. Nothing. So you'd be you would be very very forgiven. 
of all of his movies for never having heard of this one. I wasn't expecting good things. I'll put that out there at the top. No, neither was I. Neither was um, I. But I say through watching the film and coming to the end of it, I actually kind of liked it. It wasn't perfect by any stretch, but I enjoyed what I watched. That the, a lot of scenes sort of built a level of suspense that is often just thrown away in other films like this in sort of less experienced hands. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I suppose getting into this as well, um, I think what may turn people off of this, and I don't know if you agree with this, is maybe say first 20 or so minutes can be a little confusing because it's kind of yeah. setting up how this narrative is going to work um, I, I don't know if you sort of felt the same way for the start of this one as well do you know what I think would put people off um, or might put, it didn't put me off but there's a few scenes in it where the dialogue switches between Spanish and then English and then back to Spanish um, and then you kind of and you have to keep your. It's not a film. You, it's not a film where you can put it on, and just have the explosions in the background because you need to be able to watch it. The, the subtitled parts of it. Um, but the first, I actually quite enjoyed the beginning. Um, I thought there was like that, you know, that striking image of the of the woman with the red dress coming out of um, the room with the gun, and she's got blood all down one side. You think, what's going on here? And and that was quite interesting. I quite liked that. I didn't think it was confused. I mean. Maybe, I don't know what you think. Maybe it's because I've seen that many films. I thought, oh, okay, they're starting off in the middle or the end and they're going to circle back to it. Um, I don't mind it when a film does that, but maybe that's because I watch a lot of films. I, I don't know if you thought the same. Or... Yeah, I mean, this is what I mean seeing similar films. You you kind of, sometimes you don't always appreciate how integral it could be for the start of a film to get you and sort of grab you. Because I went into this kind of, um, again, admittedly, a little bit ambivalent, just kind of expecting this to be, as you described, um, potentially just old background noise kind of fare. But again, to the credit of this film, it does keep your attention. Um, it is an interesting film. The performances are solid. I thought, oh, there's going to be some weak links, and maybe this is the um, the, the arrogance of expecting this from like a straight to DVD film or something. You're like, oh, someone's got to be a bit weak. Someone's going to let the side down here. But all the performances were serviceable and solid. They didn't have a particular issue with any one person. There seemed to be a reason that everyone was in the film. Um, some uh, d- decent level of cast as well. As you said, um, Enrico Colantoni was in there um, did a great job. Uh, Ryan Quanton uh, yes. plays um, maybe an assassin, maybe a police officer, maybe a mercenary. They all roll into one in this film. He was very good as well. Nick Cage sort of holding proceedings down and sort of gluing it all together. Quite uh, reserved though, I felt. Quite reserved performance from him. There's a few little lines he has in there, you know, like you should have come in, we've got free Wi-Fi, you know, like there's a few bits in there. But on the whole, Andy's not in it for like the first 40 minutes, is he? After I think it's a good half an hour. Good third of the film, he's not in it after the opening mm-hmm. opening sequence. Which I didn't mind. I was surprised and it kept me in kept me interested. Yeah, I completely agree because he's I think he's in it a little bit in like the first five minutes. And then exactly as he said, we go 30, 40 minutes before he's focused primarily in the film again. And uh, this sort of comes back to what I was saying with sort of similar films like this as well, because a lot of times, sometimes it's down to the direction, sometimes it's down to the writing. 
there are times when the lack of cage really hampers a film and you'd be forgiven for thinking it might be the case with this as well. And when he wasn't on screen, again, with the preconditioning of films I've seen before this, sort of just thinking, um, oh, is this, is this going to sort of tank? Is this going to sort of lose interest with all of this? But, um, again, credit to all the acting in this. Everyone did a great job. Held the film um, when he wasn't on there. And everyone was interesting to watch as well. Um now, obviously, we'll sort of get into those as well. But as we were saying, the start of the film, you've got the intrigue of the woman in uh, red, who's sort of uh, the intrigue of the woman in red, who's sort of covered in blood. There, um, the two guys coming into the hotel, um, and then Cage sort of telling them this story as well, and then we sort of follow it from there. Um, so, as you said, you quite liked the intro. Um, and did you feel like it sort of captured your interest from the start and your intrigues for the for the rest of the preceding ninety minutes as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was there was, wasn't a massive amount of confusion from me, but there was um, there was a little bit kind of me watching it, thinking, "Oh, who's here and what's this?" And are they cops? They're not cops because there's a few bits where you think, "Oh, they're definitely cops," but they seem to going to want to kill him. And then I was trying to figure out who he was because at the beginning I was thinking because obviously I honestly. I didn't read the synopsis. I just put it on. Um, I literally was just like, oh, I'll I'll put it on and I'll enjoy it. I didn't want to read too much about it. Um, so I wasn't sure at the beginning if this guy was actually the hotel owner or whether he'd just come down from, from upstairs because I thought the dead guy on the table, I thought that might have been the owner or something. I wasn't sure if there'd been a shootout. But I like a mystery, um, very similar with books. If a book or a film gets me, Within the first like five ten minutes, I'm in. I'm in for it, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll give it a good go. Whereas if it's just a bit like boring, I'm like oh, I'm not bothered with this. Um, and I I liked that mystery of is he wanted? Who is he? And because I thought it gave me, I honestly thought this film was going to be kind of like a a Nicolas Cage version of Taken, um, or, or or a kind of John Wick where he essentially he he starts the kill chain. I didn't realize especially towards the end, you see how everything's come together. Yeah, that's um, a really good description because there was a number of times I was thinking like, oh, I'm kind of getting a bit of wick from this. I'm getting a few that are wick vibes and I was wondering like, is this going to be the kind of thing? Because I've got that hotel in John Wick as well, which is kind of, uh, obviously they're uh, Switzerland or whatever it is. It's the same ground. I was wondering if they were going to kind of flip that and be like, oh, it's John Wick, but all set in one location. Um. Which is not, I think, for a film like this, not a terrible comparison to make. Um, but it, it was very intriguing. Obviously, you've got that dead guy on the table. You've got the two guys, the two other assassins that sort of come in, and then Cage just walks past the the dead guy on the table, pats him on the back <laughs> like he's an absolute good boy, um, and they're all sort of chatting at the start. Um, and then I sort of. Um, he said, oh, if you're here, I sort of need to tell you this story um, because it's going to make sense to why you're here. So I thought it, when it started, it sort of flashes back, like, I guess, a few hours before that scene and he was sort of telling the story of how they became there. But he was kind of telling the story of how they've ended up there as well as his own story of how they've ended up here. And it's about, I think it must be like six or so characters who have... Um, sort of chunky, meaty roles in this. Yeah. 
Um, and it, there's been films before um, when it's just a little bloated, sort of slightly yeah. too many characters, and you kind of lose focus. But I think to the credit of the movie as well, yeah. it's it tells it in quite a linear fashion of like these characters linked to these characters, and then it's to this character. And it's easy to follow as well. It comes into like the simplicity that you were saying. Uh, like, did you find that overall it was quite uh, easy to follow, or did you, did you sort of lose focus at any point? No, I thought it was good. I, I've, I've just realised. I've literally, I know Arana means Spanish for the spider. I've got a theory about this film. I think it's not so much a kill chain. It's like a spider's web. You got, you got his character in the middle, and all these strands go off him that he's created, but it all leads back to him. Um, and I, I loved that idea that I like films like this. Not when they do it well like this, when they don't put too much in it. I like films that you can watch and they're non-linear and that you can try and figure out what's going on because I like trying to figure stuff out. And yeah, I thought it was uh, really good. I like the tension as well. Like there's a few scenes in here that really do stand out. And I think, you know what? I might not remember the majority of the film, but I'll remember that scene. Because like you said, a lot of films throw away the tension for an explosion. This film sticks with it, um, especially between two assassins. There's a scene between two assassins. I don't know if you want to wait to talk about that. but um, And they're essentially trying to kill each other in a car and then around the car. And I thought, wow, this is really well done. Like, it really surprised me how well, how well and how kind of original a few parts of it were. Because this film could have been the most generic trash uh, paint by numbers film you'd, you'd ever seen but Nicolas Cage just happened to be in it for a bit but it really wasn't like I was it's one of these films I'll be saying to my dad you want to watch that dad you'll enjoy it my dad's got such my, my bar's like here my dad's is up there my dad <laughs> no tolerance for rubbish <laughs> well, if, if it can pass them the, the Sean's dad test then that must be a huge testament um, to this movie certainly uh, uh, but again, like it, it does hold the tension, it does hold the suspense, and um, again, I, I know I keep going back to sort of comparing it to similar films of the of the, the Cage era, if you will. Um, but there's been plenty of films that don't really want to linger on the characters, don't really want to linger on the suspense. It's you know just get straight into some action or something. Um, but that scene in the car, obviously, we'll get to that. Was you know held my focus. Um, and even right at the start, you know, we've been talking about Enrico uh, Colantoni, who I, th I think his character, based on the Amazon Prime description, was called Markham. I don't know if he's ever named as such in the film. McCage is like, oh, it's time to tell you a story. You get the opening credits. And then even in the opening credits, you get those sort of still frames as the credits go along of these characters in different scenes. And you get a bit of foreshadowing about what's going to happen with all of that. Um, and sort of Markham starts in this room. And then he's asking about rice cookies. He's on the phone to someone. He's setting up a sniper rifle. And I kind of thought here, I was like, um, I was like, oh, okay, like who's who's this guy? I'll be in the story now. So, it, and I think, um, you know, by the time the film goes on, it sort of does circle back and it does tie up a lot of loose ends to its credit as well. Um, this is when I thought, oh, we're going to get, a lot of disparate parts of this film, but it held it together. And even in this scene, I think uh, with credit to Enrico as well, because the acting was just, again, so decent here and so solid. Um, and he's just on the phone to this guy, then he's on the phone to his daughter. <laughs> They're talking about rice cookers. Um, I was really sort of hooked in 
yeah. to this, and I was really sort of gripped by the performance. Um, did, did did you find that you know as we start moving into the story element here, um, you, again you were still with it as well? Yeah, it really surprised me. And like like yourself, I love the part about oh no, I'm thinking of getting a rice cooker, and I thought, oh god, please don't be one of these films that tries to throw in some quirky to give the guy a character. A little bit like um, if you ever saw Taken Three, Forrest Whitaker, great actor, fantastic. And they had him as the detective in that chasing Liam Neeson's character. And to give him some character, they gave him this like elastic band around his wrist and they kept focusing on it loads and it didn't mean anything. I hate cheap things that they throw into a film to yeah. try and make a character quirky. And I thought, oh, please don't do this. Because I love this. I love Enrico's character. I love him as an actor. He's been in like Galaxy Quest. He has bit parts in kind of like Contagion. He's done all sorts. Um, and I thought, oh, please don't do that cheap kind of shot. But they didn't. And I loved, I love like where you see professionals like snipers and things setting up the room. And then he's, and I loved how they showed you he's estranged from his daughter and the foreshadowing again, you know, one day I'll tell you why. And then you wish you hadn't, I hadn't. Uh, and I was thinking, is he covert ops? Because there's a lot of ambiguity all the way through, probably most of the film, but especially the first half of it, where you're going, who are these people? Because at the beginning, I was thinking, is he, is he some kind of, you know, CIA black ops? Is he some kind of, you know, we can't admit we're doing this, but go and kill somebody or whatever. And and I love how he tested things. I love how he tested to see if anybody was going to shoot at him by putting a bulletproof vest on and just opening these, you know, these shutters. Um, he used the Lady of the Night as cover. He talked to them and then he got one to his room and was, you know, there's foreshadowing then. And the dialogue's really sharp as well. That's another thing that surprised me. I can be on board if the script's decent. They've got some good lines in there. Yeah, spot on. I uh, I loved it, and the guy on the other end of the phone as well. That that was, I mean, obviously you can't see that guy, but that was really good as well. The kind of interplay you could tell in the brief lines they had that these were two guys, um, did whatever their relationship, who knew exactly what the other was doing. Saying, so, you know, if, if if you feel this is unsure, get get the f out of there, get out of there. Um, and I just I loved it. I was, oh, and he sends the the lady of the night over there. Here's our go over to that roof. My friend's over there. I thought, this is really slick, clever stuff. I love stuff like that. Sorry, a bit of a tangent, but I really did enjoy <laughs> it. I really enjoyed it. No, absolutely fine. Um, but I, I again, I agree with sort of so much of that as well, because, and it was one of the interesting things that you don't know if it's going to come back into play, but um, obviously he's put the bulletproof vest on because he's seen someone else setting up a sniper for a target that he's got. And he sort of calls the sex worker up to his room. He's like, uh, take your top off, go to the window, tell me is there a car still there? Tell me, can you see someone on the roof across the building? And then she sort of asks him, she's like, oh, like, are we going to we gonna like do it? Or, and he's like, yeah. no, no, we're not. And it kind of seems like a throwaway thing. And he's very sort of, like, he can't even look at her. But even that sort of makes sense later on. Um, yeah, because he says a really strange line, doesn't he? He's sorry to interrupt, but he says a line, and I was like, "What the hell does that mean?" He says a line along the line. She says, "Aren't we going to have sex or whatever?" She said, "Or not?" Well, she doesn't say that. She says as well, "Aren't we going to have sex?" And he's like, "No, I haven't been able to do that since my daughter turned fourteen or something." It's a really strange line, isn't it? And I yeah. was like, "What the hell does that mean?" But then, obviously, we'll come to exactly how this ties in, and you don't find out till pretty much right near the end. Uh, but I, yeah, I love that. And then when you find out what's going on as well. But sorry, go. <laughs> no, no, absolutely fine. And like I said, it, it feels like some of these lines are a bit throwaway because obviously if you're watching it for the first time, 
you don't know how things are going to tie up and sort of wrap around later. Um, and I think as well, this this sort of goes to the credit of the film in that um, for a first time watch, there are some good twists and turns and there are surprises here. Um, I can only imagine if you watch this for a second time, it's going to be, it might devalue some of it because you know exactly what's coming up, what character is which, how which character relates to other characters. Um, but it's all very interesting. And then we sort of get into this shootout between Markham and another uh, sniper called Sanchez. They're having a sniper shootout. Um, he's he's calling his daughter to square things up with her. He's using this mattress for protection. So you, you don't know if he's dead or if he's still clinging to life. And then this is when it so, kind of starts snowballing a bit because uh, Sanchez escapes. We get this sort of one of a few twists that Markham was actually the target the whole time. And then he gets these diamonds in this sort of gutted car. Then he's picked up by people you think are police officers, but they're not. They're also agents. So there's like, there's double crosses and there's triple crosses and there's uh, all this espionage and uh, like who's who, who's on what side. And I think it comes back into what you said earlier as well. You touched on briefly there that with all these characters, with sort of Cage's character and uh, the woman in the red dress, Renata, um, and the cops and the assassins and everyone in between, there is a moral ambiguity to all of these characters. There's no sort of straight good guys, bad guys. It's not a clear good versus evil, black and white thing. These are, I think let's be honest, these, these are bad people working in a bad world and it's kind of, it's, who's got more of their soul left than other people to sort of deal with uh, these things as they're fighting through the streets of Colombia. Um, and, and I think going back to Markham, he really, I think he epitomizes a lot of that moral ambiguity of where do we draw the lines on these um, these these grey and dangerous areas. Um, when we go to Sanchez, like I said, he's been picked up by the police, and this is where we get Ericsson played by... Uh, Ryan Quanton, and we get another chap, uh, Miguel, who's the partner as well. So this is another part. We don't know quite what's going on. Is it more assassins? Are they police? Um, and then it, we spend maybe like five minutes or so in like the back of a police car with them because we don't know who they are. Yeah. We don't know what's happening. Um, and then Sanchez is trying to get into the heads as well. He's speaking in Spanish to Miguel, saying like, oh, he's, he's going to turn on you. Uh, I'm going to give you a big cut. And then Ericsson is getting all tense and hitting him in the face. Because um, Ericsson can't speak Spanish, can he? Or he does he? Very, very limited. limited, yeah. Because yeah. Um, I, I did like that part. Um, and the, the tension builds up. And then, yeah, he just blows his head off. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that just <laughs> happened. I think that was the final point. I thought, right, these guys aren't cops then. <laughs> um, yeah. I think um, that settled it. The bullet yeah, to the yeah. head settled it. <laughs> Right in the back of the supposed police car, uh, yeah, I, I, and then we get the sequence after it, which I thought was great. It is, um, like, like a very, very good sequence. Obviously, like Ericsson has basically had enough of Sanchez. Is like, right, I'm, I'm sick of you playing these mind games. You're in both of our heads now. Straight up executes him point blank range, shoots him in the head. So Sanchez is done. Um. I think he said he had like what a quarter of a million dollars worth of diamonds. Um, oh yeah, because there's a running thing that reminds me about money. There's a running thing throughout this film where a lot of like at least two with a few times in the film where characters will say, "Oh, 
Daryl, I will give you $250,000 and, you know, these diamonds that are worth $300,000 if you'll kind of let me go and let me walk on. And a lot of characters a few times say that that's not enough. So there's that whole background of who the hell are these people? Like, you could argue if you wanted that a lot of these people are government-backed because who on earth has that much money that you couldn't buy them off with the best part of a million dollars and a quarter of a million dollars? It's, I, I like that kind of... I like that kind of thing. And the characters are clever as well, like the cat and mouse sequence with the old sniper and Sanchez at the beginning. And then you've got the scene in the car where the, the, the he's using Sanchez's body in front of him as cover, and then he's crawling around under the car. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Because you get fed up of films where someone is trying to kill somebody in a car and they're running around the car and stuff. And you think, why wouldn't you just hit the ground, <laughs> hit the ground, <laughs> hide behind a door? And they do that in this film. And I thought, well, that's actually something I've not seen for, well, I can't remember the last time I saw it, in a film where they kind of, they show people not acting like idiots and running into gunfire. Because if I've never been shot at, um, but the minute I got shot at, I don't think I'd be running around I think I'd be cowering and hugging dirt or behind whatever I could. I doubt I would start running around because I'm scared enough doing paintball and that just bruise. <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to see a bit of realism. And I know that sounds weird for a Nicolas Cage film, but there's a lot of realism in this. You can see that people don't want to get shot, don't want to get hurt, they want to get out of these situations. I like that. It's credit to the film, really. Definitely. And... Uh, speaking of someone who has been to paintball and shot in the crotch before, I have oh. no fear, so I'll run into those bullets and dodge them like an absolute hero. Um, and then Jean-Claude Van Damme, the tightest denim I've got, roundhouse kick you through a window, get my second wind, whip my mullet into the uh, the sunlight and save the day. Um, but, but again, what you're saying there is kind of interesting because it's kind of a surprising film in that you kind of wouldn't expect it, but all of the characters are written... As quite smart people, no one's really making a dumb decision because sometimes you watch films like this and you're like, oh, if I was a criminal, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do this if I was an assassin. So no one acts sort of stupidly or just, um, I guess with the exception of a, a character called Franco later who's mentioned in the backstory. But even with that, everyone acts in, I guess, in a rational way that um, is in line with... I guess what you, you would expect from their character and as an assassin and stuff like that. And this shootout scene in this Jeep, like where Miguel sort of like, he's crouched down and he's sort of creeping around the front and the sides and he's opening a door to like get it to look at that way, but he's not there and then he's under it. Like it makes sense. It just kind of happens that um, almost some kind of like anime battle that like um, Ericsson was just one step ahead that he could, he could kick the dead body out. To oh Miguel yeah, to, to put look. the feet down. Yeah, I love that bit. I thought it was great. Yeah, and then he like it, it's just a very smart thing. You're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Is kind of when you're watching it. So Miguel's gonna look one way. Then he pops down. He's got Miguel's number. He's finished. Miguel, thanks for coming. Thanks for playing. Yeah. Uh, you ranked seventh on the uh, on the kill <laughs> chain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I d- and I think this is sometimes where with a clever director and a writer and you know actors decent all, all the with a decent team behind the film you can use a low budget to your advantage you know i don't think this film looked cheap by any stretch if you told me it was a theatrical release i'd have gone oh, okay mm, but there's sure. certain scenes in it where you have a feeling like where they're shooting each other in the cop car 
or shooting at each other, that if that had been a bigger film, they might have had the car flipping over before it rested or hitting things or knocking things out of the way. But they don't. And I don't know whether that probably was a creative choice, but also you probably they were probably restricted about what they could do, especially, you know, the hotel has a lot of the action in it. They were probably restricted with the sets and their action and the budget. But that, in turn, allows you creativity. Some of the best films ever made, and this is going to be a strange choice, so stick with me for a minute. Like, <laughs> the, like you know, one of the best horror films ever made, the original Halloween, they made that on virtually nothing. Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, 1968, they made that on virtually no money. They made it in somebody's house. Right, how do we get around this? And I think that helps the tension. It never goes over the top. I, 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 that's my feeling about it. Anyway, I'm, I might be talking absolute rubbish, but that, I, I like that <laughs> because they worked with what they had and they made it better. Like I've seen a lot of films where just the car would have rolled over and things. I, I was, I was expecting the car to sort of crash, to roll over as well. But again, it could have been a budgetary constraint. Um, but I think it worked in favour of it because then it had me thinking like. Oh, well, it'd be too risky to myself if I was the guy driving that car just to crash it, then I could cause myself injury, I could end up killing myself. No diamonds for your boy if I'm dead. So if you just <laughs> just stop the car and just pop a few shots, then I was like, yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, I guess that's probably something that I would do if for some ridiculous reason I was in that situation as well. Um, But then obviously Ericsson survives... He runs along to this kind of dilapidated warehouse industrial area. We meet um, Renata, played by Annabelle Acosta, who seems to be his partner. They don't they don't get too much time together because then we're kind of passing the baton on to uh, Renata at this point. Um, so he's been shot in the shootout. He's gone there to get patched up, and then they're both sort of um, jumped by Gabrielle um, and her goons. Because uh, Gabrielle and Renata have some kind of history, implied they could have been lovers, or maybe Renata has worked for her in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think coming away from this movie, I didn't think it was a bad thing that there was a bit of ambiguity in their past. We know enough to know that like things have gone south, and now they're not on good terms. And I think it kind of worked for this. Um, as we sort of get into that Renata's storyline. Um, I don't know if you sort of felt the same way as well, if you wanted sort of any more from her sort of story or backstory there. Actually, I mean, sometimes I'd argue yes, but for this film, I do like, because it's so realistic, as much as it's about assassins, but this stuff goes on, we know it does. Um, it, it's so realistic that if you think about it, um, and if you anybody watches it, uh, if you were in that situation, if me and you had previous beef and, and I was after you and wanted to kill you for whatever reason, um, then when I met you, we wouldn't spend a couple of minutes going, you've betrayed me, you've done this, you've done that. I know why I'm there. You know why I'm there. The people around us I've took with me, I've told them already. So I think to have given us more of a reason probably would have been a bit like, well, I didn't really need to know. But I liked, it fits with the tone of the film, I think. Sometimes I do want to know more, but I actually quite like the realism of, no, actually you would just kind of be like, look, Let's get on with it. Um, I, yeah, I, I quite like that. It's a bit, it, sorry, it's a, it's a bit like, you know where you get, it's like a criticism of Dunkirk, you know, the Christopher Nolan film where people mm -hmm. said, we don't really know the characters. The soldiers don't tell us anything about themselves. And Nolan was like, well, look, they're fighting for their lives. They're not going to sit around a campfire 
they tell each other about their long lost loves and this, that, and the other. A bit like Sam Mendes when he did 1917, he said, These aren't characters that will sit around and tell you their story. We just we need to go with them and see if they survive it. It felt a bit like that, which I, I quite like. A bit of a strange comparison, but <laughs> my brain took me. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand what you're sort of driving at there because this is kind of. Um, I mean, I guess to go back to say like a 1917, the Dunkirk, effectively you are. Um, as an audience member, dropped into that story sort of partway through it unfurling. And with this one, these characters already exist in this world. There's a story going on in this world. There's a shadowy organisation. Um, but to its credit, like, I don't need to know that if the organisation was founded in 19 or whatever, I don't need to know every facet of the organisation I don't need to know every detail about the two guys who turn up to Aranda's hotel at the start because the film presents me with enough. And I think that's to its credit again. Um, some films might fear that they've got to give you too much or not enough, but I think the balancing with all the characters was sort of just right. And we, obviously we're talking about Renata here. Um, there's enough here for me to know sort of whereabouts she stands in the movie, what her relationship to the movie and its characters are. Um, and I appreciated sort of the the morsels that we were given because it was enough for me to do the work in my own head and um, sort of get things moving there. Uh, now, the shootout obviously happens as well. Ericsson, for all intents and purposes, appears to be captured or killed off screen. Um then Renata escapes, makes her way to the hotel um, with Cage. And I'm still sort of calling him Cage here because at this point, we, we don't really know until towards the end of the film that he is um, uh, Arana, the spider uh, who Renata's been looking for as well. We just know he's um, essentially mysterious, dangerous guy with a past as you, you contractually have to be if you're a lead character in a film this like this. <laughs> You have to you have to have a mysterious past. It's just the way it works, and I kind of like they have like a bit of a conversation as well. She gets a room. They sort of talk at the bar, and I kind of this it, it might be different for different people, but I kind of liked that he has sort of two slight different versions of like getting the hotel because I think he says to her he won it in a poker game. He says to someone later that he bought it. So I like even with that. There's just these subtle things that even with him. Not everything might be as it seems, and there's potentially more to him. Can we trust this guy? Where does he stand in a morally ambiguous way? So as we're kind of getting back into his character now, did you um, did you sort of like what was presented with um, uh, uh, Cage the Spider as well? Yeah, I love that that scene behind the bar, um, which was kind of like this film's shining, the shining bar moment type thing. I love that. I thought that again, the writing kind of stood out. Um, I can see why some people might think this film's a bit simplistic and oh, there's nothing really there for me. Well, you could argue it, but I'd vehemently argue against it. But I love the lines, you know, you have the hands and eyes of a violent man. She notices he's got like a bullet hole in one hand, a stab wound somewhere. And, um, and she says to him, they talk about trying to find peace. Um, and she says, you know, does a violent man really find peace behind a hotel desk? And that comes back later on because he, he says to her, um, where is it? Oh, he says, you missed, you know, you saw all these, all these scars. Oh, yeah, you were, 
you were looking at the scars, but not the man who had lost the taste for it. So he kind of says to him, yeah, I'm, I could still do all that lot, but I, I got fed up of it and we find out we won't get that, but yeah, we find out why. So yeah, I love I loved that and I like it when films do that. And it's so well acted by them both. You know, the one who plays uh, Renata, she's not only beautiful on the eyes, she's also very, very good actress. And she holds her own against Nicolas Cage because if, if this had been an actor or actress opposite him who wasn't any good or who was, you know, a bit middle of the road, that have stood out somewhat terrible. And like we said earlier on, uh, all, the, all the actors in this, they all hold their own. And it's against each other, and it, I love I love that part. I thought it was great. It was a very sort of exciting exchange between the two of them, um, and like you said, there this can happen kind of often. That um, Cage is even in films like this, where when it sort of fly under the radar, and the rest of the film might be sleepwalking. Cage, as we said, he's not phoning it in; he's holding his own. And he's always a scene stealer, and sometimes other actors can just get lost against it. But again, with the sort of the way this is sort of written and directed, um, everyone does have their chance to shine in this as well, which is obviously very much appreciated. And uh, Renata again definitely holds her own as like a support to Cage and her own character with her own autonomy and sort of power as well. Um, I think this is when it definitely starts to get really lean a lot more into its kind of neo-noir influences. There's that conversation they have in the office where it's just them <laughs> just like firing questions at each other. It's like, oh, you did this. Well, I did this because you did this. Well, I might do that. Would you want to do that? Well, those aren't my questions to ask. Here's a question for you. And then I thought, I did think the um, editing was a little choppy there because every time someone turned their head or asked another question, it was a different shot of their face from a different angle. And I was like, this feels a little bit hectic. Um, it's not a huge nitpick, but I, I did sort of notice as like I didn't need about ten different shots of your face in the space of five seconds. We we can probably calm that down a little bit. Um, and then they and then they also uh, make love to each other for some reason. I don't know if I missed something there. No, do you know what I? I was going to say I really enjoyed that part. No, what I really enjoyed <laughs> was you don't see it. It's not graphic or anything. But what I what I liked was I watched that part and I went, oh, for God's sake. Like, because it's a proper trope. And I thought in my head, there's no way she is going to go with him. Like, he's not Nicolas Cage in this film. Like, you know, he's older. He's about 25 years older than her, easy. At the very least, 20 years older than her. You know, she's not young, young, but she's, I mean, what, she's mid-20s, maybe knocking on to 30, if that. She looks young in this. I don't know how old she is. Um, and I thought, oh, what? This this is so ridiculous. But then, before I'd even had a chance to finish that thought, he actually turns around to her and says, right, what's the pitch? And she looks at him, he's like, well, I'm not stupid enough, I'm not naive enough to think you find me irresistible. And I was like, yes, thank God they're like, they face up to it. They face up to the fact that, yeah, um, this isn't as, like, that ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. She hasn't just found him you know, irresistible or, or full of beguile. And she's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll go for this. And they address it later on when that the other assassin leader comes after her, after Renata and, and says, you know, she'll sleep with you in so many words um, to try and get you to trust her type thing. And I, I liked I liked that because that was the only point where I thought, oh, it's jumped it. It's like it's 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 lost it. 
put it held it back. I thought, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, this is the thing that's kind of because they kind of just started like going at it, and I was kind of like, mm, this feels a little undeserved. And then, yeah. like I said, I felt like they were slightly jumping the shark, but then as you kind of over the arc and you're on the descent of the jump, you look back and see, oh, there was no shark; it was just a reflection of the water. Um, but then I liked, as you said as well, they um, at least Cage's character addressed it, and the character is aware of it. It's like, come on, like, you both know you're not just this isn't just a spur of the moment thing. Um, so again, this is kind of like everyone being in tune, being, being aware of what's going on, and no one's being dumb or being played. Um, this is when sort of Gabrielle confronts him in the hotel later as well because she's found that where Renata's staying. She's like running up there because they're screaming and hooting and hollering, and then she's like, "Oh, well, she's just going to play the way she played me." <laughs> it was kind of a funny line because he just kind of nonchalantly goes, uh, "The quote is." Like I kind of don't like you, and I did enjoy fucking you. It's just like it's like I just don't <laughs> like you, and that's why I trust her. It's like it's a, it's as simple as that. It's like I don't need to know your backstory. I don't know who you are. And then he continues to be, I guess, a detective. I guess in the context of this film, because um, he's trying to sort of help her escape, and she's like, "Oh, there's money here, and there's money there." And then they go, um, they go like, "Oh, I know there's money." Um, there's money in like your your left bra cup as well. <laughs> I'd love to go looking for it, but now's not the time, is it? Yeah, because he says you stopped me touching you there, and I was like, even when he's down to it, he's still looking out for things, and you're like, yeah, this isn't the guy who messes about. Um, <laughs> this yeah, is I, a I detective through and through. A detective yeah. through and through. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and and I look, and then the two guys turn up. Don't. Oh no, one. Well, no, no, I've skipped a bit. Actually, I was going to skip a bit there. Um, yeah, because the guy turns up with her, with, uh, not Renata, the other lady who's after Renata, whose name I can't remember. I think Did called, he give a name? He's uh, Osso, I think he was called. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh my God, it's the, it's the dead guy from the table. So you know things are starting to come ahead. Um, you can feel the film. And I don't think another, and I don't usually gush about films. I'm not that kind of person, really. But another thing I liked was it it, it rattles along really well. Like it, There's never any point where I was like, Oh, come on, I'm getting a bit bored now. Mm. And in films like this, because there's so little else around them, like you're not watching these kind of films for, you know, a, a party political broadcast or, you know, a social message, you know. Um, there's nothing else to kind of, it's very what you see is what you get, which I like. There's nothing to hide behind. So I was thinking those usually show up in films like this. There was no point where I was like, I'm fed up. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, the pacing was good throughout like and again complete agreement there wasn't a point where i felt like i was going to lose interest i thought oh we're going to hit like the 30 40 minute mark and then we're probably gonna have some kind of dip um and again it's a 90 minute film it's kind of short simplistic to the point and i was again i know i've I've been sort of banging around this beating this dead horse here but i was expecting this to be the kind of film where oh i'm just gonna end up checking my phone at various points throughout it and and I didn't. Um, I I was I wanted to know what was going on because I was kind of drawn in by the suspense of a lot of it as well. Um, and, and this part where we've got Osso who's in here, and we know he's the dead guy at the table at the start. I'm thinking like, how's he going to end up dead? Like, what's the series of events that are going to lead him to be <laughs> just patted on the back like he's done a good job? Because <laughs> they have that kind of brief interaction over he's just kind of hitting that bell to get Cage's attention, and then they oh, have yeah. that. 
that sort of that almost kind of like slap fight with the bell, and then Cage is very sort of like coy again. Oh, oh, don't shoot me! Sorry, sorry. I just, I, I just forgot what I was doing. Like, sorry, sorry. Um, obviously hiding who he is entirely. Um, and then they have that sort of that tranquilo, that peace drink, and then suddenly like Oso's hand is shaking. He just keeps pouring that like alcohol. Oh, I love that. That was a really good visual as well because I didn't notice it was happening until it started going over the glass because I was too busy looking at the faces. So th- there are mm. things in here to watch. Like there's rewatchability in the film, I think. But I love that bit. And there's a there's a line before he gets to it where he's he's hitting the bell, and I love it where he's like hitting that won't make me move any faster. Like I love. <laughs> and I think it's brave of the film as well that it has Nicolas Cage in it, and then a few other people we kind of know, and then unknowns for me anyway and I love the fact that they're, they're brave enough to go yeah we've got Nicholas Cage but we're not going to shoehorn him into the entire film just because we've got him they, mm. they have him in organically like every other character which I quite liked but no that's a great but yeah it's it's a great restraint from Cage um, because this so very easily could have gone over the top and it had throughout from start to finish it had that restraint which is in a film like this, I think definitely warranted, needed, yeah. appreciated. And this scene at the table as well, obviously, like, I think like the character, you don't know what's happened until it's happened because the hand is shaking. I thought he was kind of just pouring into that glass just to be a bit of a dickhead because that's kind of who the character was established as. And then we kind of realise all too late, oh, no, there's something actually else because he's, he's kind of slurring his words, he can't talk. He's trembling and then he's slumped dead over the table. Yeah. And Cage just has like a handful of pills. Just ra- rattles them at him, doesn't he? Like, there you go. It's <laughs> just a handful of pills. Like, uh, fuck you, I got you. Yeah. And do you know? Do you know another part just before that bit where they sit at the table and they're behind the bar and that guy, the dead guy at the table, and the woman uh, are kind of interrogating Cage a little bit. I love the fact that they they say they say, well, you know, if she's here, she'll probably sleep with you uh, to gain your trust, and he's like. Well, now I wish you'd have showed up later. And it, he like laughs, and it's that, and it's really good acting. Obviously, he's acting in character of trying to like be funny and try and kind of, but he's really what he's doing is really clever because he's making it seem like he he's not what they're there for at all. And then I love the next bit where the woman asks him like about five questions, and then he just goes, "You know, I don't have all the answers." <laughs> I just love that because I love like I hate in films where people are like. What about this? What about this? What when people just answer and answer and answer, and you think at a certain point you say, "Well, hang on a minute, I don't know everything," you know. And I love the fact that he just throws it in, but it's never over the top. And then we get the brilliant scene at the table where the guys just you think you start to realize something's wrong. It's it's a very sort of grounded and disarming performance, um, which is kind of like a world weary guy who's been there, done that, and has still got the tools to back it up. And by this point, basically, the film was caught up to the start as well. We've got the guys in the blue car who have turned up. Um, we know they're here to kill Cage. Tell it all. The organization says that you stole some money. But now he gets like the actual story portion of the story. Um, and this kind of like tragic backstory is like, I used to be like just like you two guys going around doing missions, not questioning it. Um, then it was him and Franco who's kind of mentioned throughout the film. He's kind of spirit lingers throughout the film. This used to be his hotel. I think it was the case they were on a job in Cameroon. They ended up getting the blood diamonds, which are the ones being just passed around throughout the film as well. Um, like the kiss of death out of those diamonds. The absolute <laughs> kiss of death. 
it's it's not a good thing to have blood diamonds in sort of a, in any shape or form. Um, get unbloody diamonds if you're going to get a diamond. That would be my advice. If you take away nothing else from this episode, um, <laughs> as bloodless as possible would be my uh, <laughs> critical advice to you, dear listener. Um, but they're on this job in Cameroon, and they're told to basically uh, burn a shipment, but it's it's underage, sort of like trafficked girls. Um, I know we, we we couldn't do it. That's where we draw the, drew the line, and we let them go. Um, Franco basically adopted one of them um, because he sort of took pity on them. Uh, so some other people are told to go and finish the job, um, which we find out is Sanchez is one of them. Uh, he's basically a cold blooded killer. Doesn't give a, a damn. He will do the job. Pull that trigger, and. Um, I think there's three girls that he just burned alive who were trapped in like a cellar or something, just like really like awful, like skin crawling stuff. Um, it's very cinematic though, wasn't it? Not you don't see the girls actually burn. I must point out. <laughs> no, um, no. You, you you just see it. It's like it's behind one of those gates, like the film Titanic. The, those gates you can see. I don't know what they're called. Um, and they're in like a basement and he walks down the stairs, Sanchez, and you think he's on his own, but we'll come back to that towards the end. You think he's on his own and they're trapped behind the gates. He throws the petrol bomb down or whatever he lights and the, the gate goes up, like in front of the gate goes up in flames and you see them from behind the flames because they're in like the back of this cellar and you see him. And there's just no emotion on his face. He's just not bothered. And you think, well, this guy is a complete psycho. Like none of them are, you know, particularly compass mentors. Um, you wouldn't have them around for dinner. But yeah. he, he is, like, you don't realise because he's really underplayed as well. This is another thing I'd like to watch it again just to see what his character's like because Martinez doesn't come across like that in the rest of the film. You don't watch it and think he's really unhinged. Um, so that was that was quite interesting. But And I love the way that Cage talks about it, that the character, you know, it was light them on fire or go home or, or, or never go home. He says, so... And then it turns out that the girls died anyway. But, well, because Martinez goes after them. And then there's this really, again, where it subverts your expectations and you think, oh, that's a bit dark. And he says, oh, Franco took one of the girls. And the guys look at him like, what? You've just said these are like 9, 10, 11-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. They look at him and he goes, no, not like that. He raised her like a daughter and you see a scene where they're like having a birthday party and Nicholas Cage, uh, Nick Cage's character's there as like his friend and it's in the hotel, I think. Um, and I just I thought that was I thought that was really like again depths I wasn't expecting the like, emotional depths I wasn't expecting the film to go to. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of subversion uh, in your expectations throughout this, and then we sort of find out the organization didn't take too kindly to them not doing what they were told. So Franco's adopted daughter. It's implied that Erickson and Miguel are responsible for basically killing her. They said she, the body turned up in a field, uh, naked, tortured, cut into pieces. And like Cage's character was just like getting angry, tensing up, tearing up, because um, he sort of blames was, himself yeah. for it as well. That was brilliant, that part. Because he, he starts crying and you think... Because I wrote down, like... And I know it's not a shock to anybody who's seen any of his films, but he really can act. This is where, like, accusations of him phoning in roles. You're like, no. Like, he might be doing films that are very similar and don't have a lot of budget, but it doesn't mean he can't be as good as he can be in them. And I think that's why he's managed to keep his reputation as he has, because it doesn't matter what you watch him in. It could be terrible and you could hate it. And I don't love all of his films, 
but you can see he's at least giving it his best. And on a personal note, if it, and I, I respect somebody for getting into debt and going, you know what, I could take the route of bankruptcy, but I'm going to work to get rid of this debt. I've put myself in this situation and I'll get myself out of it. I know it's different because he's in just where you can earn lots of money, but you still have to work. You know, four movies a year can't be easy. And I think that's what his average was for most of the, you know, for the 2010s. 2010s especially, yeah. yeah. I think three, four movies a year, some yeah. years five. Um, and then what's building this reputation of someone who doesn't turn movies down, only yeah. this crap, there's the memification of Cage. Yeah. And he's kind of like, well, can't do anything about it, but I've, I've got a body of work, I need yeah. to keep working, and I'm picking films that I could give something to as well. And you think like a lesser actor in his role, could easily have phoned this in, but you get that oh, yeah. um, uh, that emotional punch at the end as well because he's like, yeah. "I blame Franco. I blame myself for letting Franco go because he forgot all the rules of this game. He let himself get emotional. He didn't take his time. I blame myself for letting Franco's daughter go." Um, and he's carrying that weight all this time, and he gets up in the conversation with like basically the two goons that have confronted him at the end. It's this hint that. He wants to be found and he wants to be killed. And um, this other layer that maybe he's just sort of coming to the end of it as well. Uh, he says the line, let's just say I've had a good meal and I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote um, that down as well. It was a great line. Great line. And the, and the, um, the bit where we get to the, the part with the Renata and then the woman who's trying to kill her and, and she, they end up trying to shoot at each other. Oh no. Is it the guy? They try and shoot each other, and the bullets run out. Uh, oh, that's after. Sorry, before that, she's in the bedroom and Cage is there, and they're trying to come to a deal about who's going to walk away from this. And that's where the scene of, well, I I don't like you, and I enjoy sleeping with her comes into it. And then she attacks her with a knife. Renata attacks the woman who's after her with a knife. And Jesus, she, I mean, I, I wrote down. Uh, I think she's dead. That's <laughs> about fifty times. You're like, yep. She's, she's, She's dead. She's pretty. And you can see in Cage's face in the background, you can see this slow, dawning realisation. And we don't really know how long he's been out of this life. You realise, he thinks, oh, Christ, like, I'm backing it now. I'm backing it. It's like, um, that's going to be a pain did he to ever watch really go away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that in the shootout with another guy, or with the two guys who turn up, he puts bullet holes in all his uh, sheets that are all hanging up to dry. Which I thought was quite a nice visual as well. I like that. It was like towards it. It's basically like, uh, Arana and Arana and Renata versus, and I think the characters' names were Royce and Quirk. From what I saw when I was watching it on um, on Amazon, but it's, it's kind of like a uh, sort of tense, and it sort of builds up. There's kind of like a cat and mouse game of them sort of all chasing each other, um, like pistols and knives and shotguns and. Uh, like corners being blown off of walls and holes being ripped into walls as well. Um, bed sheets. <laughs> and especially bed sheets. That's the, the biggest casualty of this shootout. <laughs> um, but I, I liked this shootout because it was sort of choreographed well. It didn't seem like too polished. There was a bit of like grit to it, which I enjoyed as well. Um, I think I think it's Royce, the guy who gets shotgunned by Arana. And then... Um, Quirk, who sort of had Cage's gun from earlier in the film, because when they approach him at the hotel desk, they're like, "Oh, you've got this hand over the gun that you've got there. You've got a shotgun on here. What's that all about?" 
Well, did you notice? Did you notice in that scene earlier? He he purposefully puts his gun in his hand under the desk and he keeps that one in his belt. So I think that foreshadows he knows what that gun's for. But I don't want to spoil it. You can explain that bit because it's a great part. It surprised me when it happened. <laughs> it, it it definitely surprised because um, he makes a reference earlier that um, I think it's to Osso say like he can't do like the same trick twice. He's got like a thumb trick or something. It's like, well, I got, that's the only trick I've got. I can only do it once. Um, I think what it is, it basically triggers this gun and as it happens to Quirk um, that he pulls the trigger on it and it explodes in his face. He gets shrapnel in the eye. Uh, and that was quite a surprising thing because like, again, it's another little twist. I didn't really expect it to come. Then Renata finishes him with Neither, like, neither did he, Daryl. <laughs> Well, should have freeze framed and went wow wow wow. <laughs> um, but then he sort of appears and he goes, "In my day, a professional wouldn't use a stranger's gun without checking it first. To yeah. be like, well, you know, um, call call me old fashioned, but that's rule one hundred and one um, of, of of warfare: check your opponent's gun." At all because times. you wouldn't get that far, would you? This, this is another thing I like about the old sniper play by uh, Colin San, uh, uh, Enrico at the beginning um, and Nicolas Cage's character. The people who are older, who have been assassins for decades or whatever they've been, there's, there's rumours they were in the army and stuff, but it's all very ambiguous. And is it true? Is it not true? We don't know. I liked it. Like You wouldn't get to be as old as Nicolas Cage is in this and as old as the old sniper is without not making stupid mistakes. And I love the fact the only time any characters make any stupid mistakes, they get punished for it and they get killed. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. Similar to the cop shootout, you know, you you let your guard down for a second and think you've won, and it's like game over. See you later. You're done. Because that's what it would be like. I have no doubt. You know, I know we like to think espionage doesn't exist. Uh, maybe it doesn't in this way we think about it now, but maybe it does. But I don't think you'd survive very long if if you were haphazard, because these people are so. Like regimented, aren't they? Mm-hmm. All of them. I, I just, I like a thinking. I like a film that isn't stupid, and this could have been so easily a stupid film, and it wasn't. Again, like I, I know we're, we've kind of been waxing lyrical about similar things throughout, but it's it's a pertinent point that kind of has to be repeated because um, I think it was perfectly put by yourself. It's the characters who make the stupid mistakes are the ones that suffer for it. The ones who stay smart and stay attentive are the ones that live and see, live to see another day. Um, as we see with the ex- old exploding gun trick back there. Um, and his friend Franco, because his, his daughter was attacked and killed, he got emotional, forgot the rules of the game. He went in there guns blazing and he got killed for it as well. Um, so Cage's character especially said, you know, I've, I've got to stay on top of this. I've got to be three steps ahead. And that's how I sort of get through this. Um, that's sort of the culmination of like the gunfight. Renata figures out that Cage is the spider. Um, we get the confirmation that the diamonds were those from Cameroon. Um, and the little sort of what we sort of alluded to earlier, but we're sort of cautiously tiptoeing around. Uh, another part when the film is coming full circle is that it turns out Markham, the sniper from earlier, played by Enrico, was in a room of the spider's hotel, which I didn't put, I didn't piece that together at all. Um, which I thought was like a very, um, nice twist. Cause he goes into the room. It's the bullet ridden mattress. I'm like, 
hang on a minute. And then he sat in the corner, just bleeding out. And I thought, ah, that's a nice little, that's a nice little turnaround there. Yeah, I was surprised myself as well. Um, I, I thought, oh, it's the hotel. I didn't, I didn't put those two, two together at all. I was like, oh, it's the hotel. Because at the beginning, I was thinking, I don't think he's really dead. Um, and then they had him be alive at the end. And I thought, and then it, it happens to be in the hotel. And I was like, wow, people really don't hear gunfire. Although, they were with, all that bit in the beginning with the old sniper was silent. It was all silence, wasn't it? Mm. Um, so would you have heard it? Not entirely sure. Well, there was that bit towards the start of the film where he walked Renata to her room and then he walks to another room and he kind of puts his ear against the door and then he sort of walks away. So I wonder if that was his room he was listening in on. That's kind of my thinking. That like He must have known something was going on. Again, it's characters being aware of what's going on and he's sort of keeping tabs on another situation in case that kicks off as well. And again, sort of showing that Arana is... I guess really sort of the smartest guy in the room, in the film, in the hotel, certainly, um, throughout the whole thing. And then we get that sort of flashback as well, or the addition to the flashback of our, um, Arana's story, that Markham was Sanchez's partner, and one of the reasons that he was so sort of cold to the sex worker earlier in the film was that he didn't stop Sanchez from burning those girls alive. So it comes back yeah. to that moral ambiguity, because you think he's... Maybe a bit more to the light side, but he's also done some shit and, like Sanchez, unfortunately kind of deserved to get executed at the end. Ooh, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the old snipers. The fact the story came back around and it was that I didn't, I didn't kill those girls, but I also didn't stop it. You know, and he's right then. It's that scene. Like I spoke about earlier when he walks, Sanchez walks down the stairs and he sets the fire and he goes behind the fire and him in front of the fire. And you then, it shows you a different angle, uh, a different shot. And the old sniper's there um, looking slightly younger, a little bit younger. Um, and he just looks haggard. Like he realises that, that he shouldn't be doing, he should stop this, but he doesn't. Um, so there you saw, there's the difference between like Nicolas Cage's character and um, his mate Franco, and um, or his partner Franco, and then you've got um, the other two that that they don't make that decision um, to walk away. And it's again, it's that thing of well, once you start in that line of work, where is the line for you? Because once you say it's to an organisation, I still think it could be covert, covert ops to be fair. But once you start saying yes, whatever you order me to do, I will do, uh, and you're not in any kind of official army you know if you will you're in for a world of uh, a world of hurt and probably not a very long life as we see in this film um, yeah yeah you sort of make that deal with the devil and then um it's not going to be exactly smooth sailing from there on out uh but then we, we get into that kind of kind of ambiguous ending at the end as well because in his sort of last dying moments markham asks arana if he can sort of protect his daughter because he's like well i've I'm dead, uh, I've spoken, Sanchez is dead now, all of this stuff has happened, so they're going to go for my daughter next. So he hands over his phone and asks if he can protect us. So he gives her that call, walks away, and then it sort of hits to credit. So it's kind of one of the things that could could leave it open for a sequel if he's going against all the wills of the organisation. Um, it leaves it open to a lot of things that could happen next. 
and I and I, I would sort of put it out there that now I don't know if it ever will. If it did, would it be a different character? Because there's obviously a big world in this film that's kind of presented and implied. Um, I think I would be down for a Kill Chain 2 if Kill Chain 2 was ever a thing that could happen. I don't know about you. I'd be down for it. Apologies if there's any background noise. Um, I would be down for it. Um, I, I I would, but then the minute I watched it, I'd be like, oh, they should have just left it at one. A little bit like Taken, <laughs> a little bit like John Wick. Yeah, it'll be one of those cases of be careful what he asked for, but we'll all want a sequel, but it'll never be as good as the first one, which is kind of the inevitable inevitable sort of play there. Um, but as we sort of come to the end of the episode here, um, what would be your... And I think it's fair to say we've both been surprised by how enjoyable this film was. I certainly have been, if that's not clear already. As we start wrapping things no, t- up here... Take a shot every time I say I liked it or I loved it. And you'll be absolutely <laughs> hammered by about 10 minutes in this podcast, I think. <laughs> I'll put that into the intro. Um, every time we're like, this was kind of good to take a shot. Um, as we wrap things up here, what would be your final thoughts on 2019's Kill Chain? My final thoughts is it's the, only, um, it's the only note I've got left before my summing up at the end. And it was the look on Cage's face when he picks up the gun after she's knifed, after Renata's knifed, the, the the woman to, to bits basically and killed her and he picks the gun up and he just goes oh for Christ's sake because he knows he's backing it now I mean did he ever really leave who knows but I just love that realisation of oh god I'm in it now and yeah you could have a, a sequel that just went absolute hell for leather um, kind of like the purge to the second purge and just went yeah we know what you want to see it's just Cage going absolutely off it but in that it would lose what made this film not unique but what the strengths of this film, so the characters, the tight story, the tension, um, it would kind of, wouldn't ruin it, but it would kind of, you'd be like, well, this is just what we've seen a million times before. So I'd like it to stay standalone, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'll definitely, uh, definitely watch it again, just just to see how it all hangs together. And I wasn't expecting to say that when I, when I first put it on, I thought, oh God, when I saw the synopsis, I thought this is going to be terrible. <laughs> I was just going to sit here and just roundly bash it for you know however long the podcast will be, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think you know if we haven't said it enough already, I think pleasantly surprised is the best way to describe this. I think credit to director writer uh, Ken Sanzel who sort of put this all together. Um, the acting is good throughout. The story is surprising, and there's a lot of interesting twists and turns. It will keep your attention for ninety minutes, and um, it was just a real damn shame if nothing else, that this film didn't get any press or fanfare. It just appeared on Amazon Prime one day. Um, so I'd say it's worth checking out if you've got access to it. It is available for streaming at the time of this podcast recording, which is uh, Mother's Day in the UK, which I definitely didn't forget about. I need to go and call my mother immediately to gravel for forgiveness. Um, <laughs> but as we sort of wrap up things here, um, and again... We've been pleasantly surprised by a kill chain. Take another shot, everyone. Um, it's left for me to say, uh, <laughs> Sean, obviously, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Kill Chain today. For the listeners, uh, where can we find you on the socials and interwebs and that such things? Yeah, thank you. It's 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 been an absolute pleasure. Um, again, I did not forget it was Mother's Day, so if you hear anything in the background, um, such as crying kids, my nieces and nephews around because it's Mother's Day. 
Uh, well done, me and Dale, for being absolute fools on that score. But no, <laughs> no, pleasure to come on. Um, thank you very much. And honestly, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. You can find Review It Yourself um, on Instagram. Um, you can find us, I think it's Review It Yourself Podcast 2021. You can find us on Twitter at, at Yourself Review. What else? You can find us on pretty much your Spotify's, your apples, uh, your apples, your apples, your oranges, uh, pretty much wherever, wherever you want to, wherever you find your podcasts, we should be there. Um, and it's just me. Well, it used to be me on my own uh, until I discovered collaborating. And <laughs> now it's trying to find the solo episodes. I also have some episodes with my, my when my mum comes on, when my sister comes on. Um, those are some really interesting ones. Um my sister just decimated my podcast. So go give that one a listen. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, thank you for having me on. And I hope um, anybody who goes and has a look at that enjoys it. But I've really enjoyed talking about this film. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure to have you on and very much enjoyed uh, this pleasantly surprising chat. Um, all the links <laughs> will be... Take another shot. <laughs> all the links will be in the description down below as per... Um, but with that said, it's time to wrap up this week's episode. So thank you again to Sean from the Review It Yourself podcast for joining. We will catch you in the next one. Thank you for listening, if you have been. And until the next one, as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you. Take care and goodbye. And that was episode 91 covering Killed Shane. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, so as ever, all the links in the descriptions down below for both myself and Sean. If you enjoyed the episode, um, I would be ever so grateful if you could leave it a review on your listening platform of choice. Be that uh, say Google or Amazon or Stitcher, Podchaser, Spotify, Apple, uh, Good Pods, if you can leave it a five-star rating, leave a nice little comment as well. It helps not only my fragile ego, but it helps the show grow, helps more people find it, which is very, very much appreciated. Um, and you can find me in all the usual social medias, uh, Twitter, at Cage underscore podcast, Instagram, at Cage Rage Pod. And TikTok as well, at Cage Rage Podcast. Uh, come and get involved on the journey to true Kejavana. Always plenty of legroom and very comfortable reclining leather seats. Next week, episode 92, we will finally, finally, finally wrap up 2018 with the very weird Between Worlds. And I was joined by the brilliant Lauren Malisi to talk all about that one I uh, very much look forward to you hearing it and letting me know your thoughts as well uh, but thank you for listening if you have been take care we'll see you in the next one and keep on keep on gauging duh